Welcome to Intuitive Eating for Christian Women. I'm your co-host, Erin Todd. I'm a writer and an intuitive eater. And I'm your co-host, Charlie Castle, registered dietitian and exercise physiologist. We're here to help you discover whole health for your mind, body, and soul. That's right. Our goal is to embody scripture, ditch dieting, and live on purpose. Woo! Woo! Yes, girl. Today on the Intuitive Eating for Christian Women podcast, our guest, Jessica Lauren Newby, reminds us that our God of abundance calls us to abundant life in Him. And she explains what this means for our relationships with food. We'll be discussing feasting, fasting, and so much more. You're going to love this episode. Jessica Lauren Newby is married to her best friend, mama to three amazing kids, owner and founder of With Milk and Honey, where she provides nutrition therapy for life, eating disorder recovery, family feeding, and lactation support. Before we jump into our conversation, as a reminder for all of our podcast episodes, this program is for informational and educational purposes only, and it is not a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice. Our aim is to introduce you to the principles of intuitive eating and help you see how those principles align with scripture so you can improve your relationship with food, your body, and God, and cast out dieting for good. Hey, good morning, Jessica Lauren. We're so glad you're here with us. Thank you guys so much. So can you start us off uh, with going back to the beginning of either your food story or God story, whichever one came first in your life and and take us there. Sure. Absolutely. Um, When I think back over the course of my life, I think it's easier to start with my God story because it was first. Uh, Like you just asked, Uh, I grew up in what I would call a Christian home. Uh, I was raised first part of my life in South Alabama, close to the Gulf, Um, spent time on the beach, um, in the Bay waters, et cetera. Um, really enjoyed that atmosphere. Still really feel at home in God's creation outside. That's really near and dear to my heart and probably because that's where life kind of started for me, but grew up uh, on the coast there. Uh, We were involved in church, went to church every week. My mother was very much the spiritual leader, matriarch of our household and took me to GAs on Wednesday nights, if anyone remembers that at all. So um, went to like essentially a little girls club on Wednesday nights and we did Bible drills and crafts and learned about missionaries and raised money. And um, I just really always enjoyed the atmosphere. I loved church. I loved vacation Bible school and really, um, you know, had friends there, um, had a really tight knit community and loved that. Um, I remember always being really curious. Um, it was a very small church. And so the, the pastor would have like children's time at the front of the sanctuary for like two to three minutes and give us all Tootsie pops. It's still ingrained in my brain and hand us a Tootsie pop at the end and send us back to the pews to sit with our parents. Uh, and so I can remember getting the Tootsie pop and going and sitting next to my mom in the church. And, um, that's, you know, just, I have all these really like warm, (laughs) fuzzy feelings about those things. Still really love Tootsie pops to this day for that reason, probably. And, um, I remember asking my mom, what, what is this like thing about like Jesus living in my heart? I want to 
to know about that. And I was six at the time. And so my mom being ever so cautious to do things right, um, took me to the church office, took me to see my pastor, you know, that I had this really lovely relationship with. And so he just walked me through, like, this is what it means to be a sinner. This is what it means to need Jesus as our savior led me in that prayer of repentance and salvation. Um, I was baptized on Easter Sunday, which I think just feels really special. Every Easter that comes back around, it's this really sweet reflection for me. Um, and so I, that's how I started life. You know, I don't really remember a whole lot before six. And so I, when I talk to people about my testimony, I say, I don't ever remember God not being part of the picture, right? Like he's always been there in the tapestry in some way. Um, so we moved eventually from that sweet little place um, in uh, Daphne, Alabama, and my dad went to medical school as a second career. So we loaded up our family and moved to the Midwest. We lived in Kansas City uh, for a few years, right outside Kansas City. And it was just different. It was very different for my family as far as the culture of the Midwest versus the South. And we had a really hard time finding a church where we were located um, I remember it took seemingly in my like seven-year-old brain an hour to get to church and an hour to get home. It was probably 20 to 30 minutes, but it just, it was always this trek and it, you know, we didn't go in the middle of the week like we had before. And for the first time in my life, a lot of my friends were not involved in church. Their families weren't committed to weekly gatherings or anything like that. And so I remember it just feeling like a really stressful time. Uh, if anyone's ever been in a family with someone in medical school, that's a very stressful time anyway. And so um, there are a lot of hardships for our family at that point. We were away from all of our extended family that we were very close to. So my mom's family, my dad's family. Um, and it was hard. It really was. Um, I had friends and I had a few good friends um, and I can remember one or two of them really did love Jesus. And I clung to that. Right. Um, and then we decided to move back when my dad started moving and doing residencies and rotations so we could be close to our family. My mom could have more help. Uh, so we moved back to Alabama and lived in the town where my mom's parents and siblings all lived. My grandparents had actually both been diagnosed with cancer at the time. And so it was really important that we all be home with, you know, cousins and aunts and uncles and there to help. Um, and so that was how I started middle school and then on into junior high and high school with a really tight-knit family community. My school teachers were my Sunday school teachers and my grandparents' friends and my aunts and uncles' friends. And so again, just this really beautiful connection that we had all together all the time, really knit into the family of God. Um, so I think at that point, I just became really good at church. Um, church was really comfortable and safe. And I you know, was on the, I led worship for the youth group and I helped teach Bible studies to the younger kids. And I volunteered at vacation Bible school every year. And I, you know, I just did all the things that you were supposed to do. Um, I'm a firstborn, I'm a overachiever and all those things. So I was checking my little list, um, about how to be so good for Jesus. Right. Um, and authentically I did care so much about my friends knowing who Jesus was. I probably didn't always go about that in the right way. <laughs> um, but I really wanted to do what was right and to be good, um, and to be counted as good and righteous. Um, so transferred all of that same kind of running for my own righteousness into college, um, was really involved in missions, loved missions, um, you know, locally and abroad, um, lived abroad several times, uh, doing mission work as a teacher 
And I remember so much of my theology that I cling to now is really what was poured into me in my college years. And I remember sitting with my campus pastor at the time, Matt Curlin, and asking him, I was like, did I really become a Christian at six? Like I've messed up a lot since then. And I have worked so hard for my own righteousness. So did I even grasp anything that like was really Jesus at six? And um, he said to me, he said, you know, I really think that sweet little Jessica Lauren gave everything she knew of herself to everything she understood about Jesus as a six-year-old little girl, right? And in a way, I think that gave me this really great theology moving forward because now that's a question I can always ask myself, right? Like, am I giving everything that I know of myself at 36 over to everything that I know of Jesus, right? Um, So I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for campus pastors and ministers that poured into me and mentors over the years. Um, And I think that obviously my college years shaped a lot of who I was and what I wanted to do Um, definitely is where my food story uh, came into play. And um, I would say that I am always a recovering seeker of my own righteousness, right? Um, And so that's how the Lord continues to work in me. Um, things that he continues to show me. I think in this season right now, I'm really learning a lot about rest and Sabbath and how that's the Lord's desire for us. Um, So I'm reading right now through the one year Bible, praying for your kids with Nancy Guthrie, highly recommended. And she said something a few days ago um, in her devotional part of the writing. And it said, our security in Christ frees us to enjoy his Sabbath rest. And I thought that was such, um, it was like, it was just written out for me, you know, because um, so much of my life has been about being good enough and doing the right thing so that Jesus could love me. Um, and he doesn't love me because he's good. He loves me because he's good. Um, so that I think in a really small, tiny nutshell is um, how the Lord has moved in my life and saved me for myself. Oh my goodness. That was so good. Thank you for sharing that. And I really, um, really resonate with the recovering seeker of my own righteousness. That's definitely, uh, something I struggled with too. So that, that was right, right in line with how, um, how I remember things. I want to hear more about, um, what happened with the food story as college went on, because it seems like you had a really blossoming faith at that point in your life. Yes, absolutely. I was so thankful that my high school minister was in a really great relationship with my campus minister. I went to, did my undergrad at the University of Alabama. So I was already living in Tuscaloosa. I went to high school there. Um, My spring break senior year, I was set up to go on the college mission trip from the university. And so I got to go ahead and make friendships with these students that were already on campus as a rising senior, um, really turned, you know, my own heart towards international missions and, and loved that. So I started college in a really, you know, safe way as far as I had great friends and great faith and was really grounded and rooted in that, knew what was important to me and what wasn't, um, how I wanted to spend my time. And then I couldn't really figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I had so many things I was interested in and things that I really uh, loved studying and felt passionate about. And I loved teaching. I had done teaching um, in international missions and loved that. And 
told my grandmother when I was little, that was all I was ever going to be was a teacher. I just wanted to teach. And then my, I grew up in a very health conscious household. My um, uh, father as a, a pharmacist and then a physician and my mom as a pharmacist. So we were outside all the time. We ate, you know, really well-rounded family meals together. We were conscious of health. And so when I started college, I thought, okay, we'll go pre-med. I, I knew I had the, the scores to do it. I, I was interested in medicine and health. Um, I remember walking into a lab one day and just seeing all kinds of things I didn't want to see and having to deal with things that I didn't want to have to deal with and thinking, this is just too much for my tender little heart. Um, I've got to find something different. So transferred over to pre-physical therapy, interned um, with a family friend and, and liked it. I, I liked the aspect of taking care of people, interacting with patients, um, but it still just wasn't the thing. It wasn't like I woke up in the morning, like, oh, I just can't wait to do this. So I had to take a nutrition class in order to, um, to, you know, to meet a requirement for credit or something in the pre-physical therapy program. And I mean, like we've gone through the syllabus and I know this is for me. Like it is first day. I'm like, this is my jam. I got to do this. Uh, so I changed my major to nutrition. Um, this is actually at the end of my sophomore year, which to my, you know, overachieving has a plan self felt really late in the game. Like everyone else knew what they were going to be when they grew up. And I just hadn't found it yet, but it was because the Lord had given me so many interests and desires and I just couldn't figure out how he wanted me to put them together yet. So, um, claimed that major kind of late in the game, didn't like the way that felt, but I felt good about the fact that I finally knew what I was going to do. Um, I also know, of course, in hindsight, that the reason I loved nutrition and instantly felt that click with it was because I was already in my own eating disorder. So my senior year of high school, I had back-to-back um, a tonsillectomy and a wisdom teeth extraction. And um, anytime you have oral surgery, what you eat changes. I have always lived within privilege and I recognize that. I've always lived in a small body, but my small body got smaller right? And people noticed that. And some people were very frank, like, Hey, like you don't look so great, you know? And, um, then other people, you know, just kind of like, Oh, like you're so tiny, you know, people just compliment smallness in the world that we live in, um, not meaning harm most of the time. And so I remember those thoughts and feelings that came up you know, it was spring semester of my senior year. And then as I started college with this really great friend group and really grounded in my faith, I was in a relationship at the time that I had actually chosen to end and then decided to go back to. Um, and it just didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. And it really rattled me. I think I'd put a lot of my identity into it. And it was a very like beautiful God honoring relationship, honestly, but it just wasn't my forever. It wasn't my husband. Um, and I think we both knew that, but it was hard to maybe come to grips with at the time when you can't see forever into the future yet. Uh, so, you know, prefrontal cortex is not completely developed. There's lots of things going on. Um, so I, I stepped out of that and then just was really devastated by it. And then a lot of things happened. It changed my friend groups, right? Because things shifted there. And so I couldn't eat. I was so um, just, I didn't have an appetite essentially. You know, I tell my clients all the time, no one wakes up and says, I'd like to have an eating disorder tomorrow, but something switches and lost my appetite, really couldn't eat, was always afraid I was going to like run into this person and maybe see him with a new girlfriend or, you know, see him having fun and I was sad or whatever. And so it just grabbed a hold of me. And 
of course, as that happened, my small body got smaller all over again. And um, then it just felt like I had control of something when I didn't have control over maybe what was going to happen in other areas of my life. I would have never described myself as a control seeking person. um, But I think when my emotions felt like they were outside of my um, locus of control, I suddenly needed something to make me feel better. And it just made me feel better because I could have that authority over what was going into my body and how I was running or how I was moving. And so I just became more and more obsessive about it, limiting and um, restricting um, and abusing my body. You know, um, I was determined to run out all of my feelings and to, um, to just obsess and to measure and to restrict. And so I, over time, of course, got sicker and then um, things changed in relationships and friend groups. And I just suddenly kind of got better. It was like things shifted enough and I felt maybe safe enough or stable enough in those things that I allowed myself to start eating again and moving again in a way that was more appropriate. Um, But what would happen subsequently every year is there, you know, would be some kind of shift or crisis. um, And I would always go back to that. That was like my coping mechanism. Right. And it gave me, um, a sense of, okay, well, if everything else isn't okay, at least I feel okay about this. I am the tiniest I can be. And, um, people see me as the the healthy person, you know, even though I was terribly unhealthy and, um, it just made me feel safe. So, um, I go back to that a lot in my head. I'm like, why, why was that the thing? And like, it just made me feel safe. Right. And I, um, struggled, you know, off and on throughout my college years. And then here I am ready to like graduate and be a dietitian. So y'all know what this is like. And then you're like, I'm going to go teach people how to eat <laughs> and I don't know how to eat. Right. <laughs> so that's a terribly, um, humbling or humiliating, maybe some of both kind of moment. Um, but it was the culture I was in. And I think that you all probably can, you know, testify to that as well, that what I was being taught in my classes was really what I was doing. Right. But at a much higher level. Um, and so I, of course was, you know, raised and taught in a very weight centric world. And that was what our textbooks were and that's how people practiced. And so I was just I was being a good little person all over again, right? Just putting into practice what I had been taught to do and checking off my list. And so I graduated with my my bachelor's and uh, the University of Alabama has a coordinated uh, program. So when I finished my bachelor's, I was already ready to start practicing as a dietitian and could be licensed and registered, which is beautiful, totally in God's um, provision, because I had no idea that's what I wanted to do when I started the school there. And I... Um, decided to take a job that made me the wellness dietitian in the campus recreation center on campus. So I got to start my master's degree and uh, start working as a wellness dietitian. And it seemed really safe again, because I could help people eat well in their dorm room on campus and teach them how to add in fruits and vegetables. I knew I didn't want to do clinical work. Like I remember walking into the dialysis unit on rotations and thinking, this is not for me. It's not ever going to be for me. There were very clear answers about this is not the kind of dietitian I want to be. Um, but wellness seemed really great. It fed back into that. I wanted to help people. I wanted to be involved in healthcare, but I really wanted to be on the early intervention, right. And help them before they needed um, something much more serious. So 
started working as the wellness dietitian on campus, I'm still very much in my eating disorder, um, compulsive exercising. And it's great now because I work in a gym. So that, that really helped my <laughs> situation. And I, um, I'll never forget my boss at the time approached me and said, we have a young woman on staff who is struggling with bulimia and we have requested that she see a dietitian and that she get help. Um, or we're going to have to ask her to go to a higher level of care if she can't do those things while she's in school and then start to work on getting better. And I was like, Oh no, 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 I don't do eating disorders. Never going to do eating disorders, swore that off. Um, and they essentially like begged me like, please, she, she knows you because she works in this building with you and she sees you all the time. And she says, she doesn't want to see anybody, but you. And I thought, well, this just really stinks because this is not what I want to do, (laughs) Um, but it's how the Lord pursued me. Right. So (laughs) we started doing this work. And then if you know anything about the eating disorder community, when you work with one, then there's like this little underground network. Right. So slowly, but surely these at this time, women, it's all women are showing up on my doorstep, essentially at the office, like I I need help. Um, And so at this point, I feel like I'm treading water. Um, This feels really uncomfortable um, because I am trying to help people recover while still really being sick at the same time. And having said all along that I'm never going to do this, um, a really beautiful, ironic part of my God and food story professionally and personally is I can remember sitting at the University of Alabama my senior year and um, this wonderful woman who has since been my professional and personal mentor, Tammy Beasley, came down to do a special uh, topics kind of web like lecture series on eating disorders. And I remember looking at my best friend in the program and going, I really wish I could get out of this because I'm never going to, I'm never going to treat eating disorders. Um, so of course, flash forward many years <laughs> later, she was the person that was mentoring me and coaching me through the process of how to actually do appropriate eating disorder care. Um, but I found myself in this place where I was being called and asked, to help women. And I was ill-equipped. I had not had nearly adequate training, but also personally was struggling. And so at that point, I really dove hardcore into my own therapeutic process and had some supervision from a dietitian. Um, I did not have um, great access to um, an eating disorder dietitian at the time based on where I was and my professional roles. And uh, that made it, I think, more difficult. But my therapist, um, fortunately, was both clinically trained and biblically trained. And so she was able to merge my spiritual life, which had always been very important, uh, with what I also needed to know from a clinical standpoint. And I'm really thankful. I credit her so much to um, the work that she helped me do, uncovering a lot of my own trauma and the things that had made me turn to starving my body and punishing my body as a way to feel safe. Uh, so dove into doing my own work while already trying to see just a handful of people with eating disorders. And um, through that process became really um, overwhelmed, but also simultaneously really grateful. I think it's really beautiful that your uh, healing work really uh, in your own journey really precipitated the ability to go out and then start healing other people as it seems like the Lord is really leading you into that work. That's just so incredible. I love how um, you described it as him pursuing you. (laughs) 
something you don't want to do. Um, and I just can't help but notice, you know, it's, I think Charlie would identify with this as well. And it's certainly in my case, it's like, we have the greatest potential and capacity to touch another person's heart when we can really relate to that struggle. So like you having your own experience with that makes you better at your job. And yes. I, I really, I think that's like ugh, the way the Lord works with that. <laughs> like ha- Having our healing be connected with other people's healing is, is just so beautiful and amazing. And it, it leaves me in awe every time. Um, Absolutely. I think for so long, the reason I didn't want to do eating disorder work is because I didn't want the accountability, right? Like I didn't want to have to recover. I didn't want to deal with, you know, my own demons. And so it was easier just to kind of maintain this little eating disorder that I could pull out when I wanted to. And then the Lord pursued me outright. And now I tell people when they ask, they're like, well, how do you go from having the eating disorder to working with eating disorder and not fall victim to that again? And I'm like, but my work is my greatest reinforcer of why I stay recovered. Right. Yeah. I mean, I help people walk through this all day long. I remember very well that I do not ever want to go back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. So I'm curious where, um, where you first bumped into the, the weight neutral approach, because yes. I know your education as basically everybody's education at this point is very in that weight centric paradigm where weight is conflated with health. And how did you, um, how did you find your way out of that? Yes. Yes. I'm so glad you asked. So I finished my master's at Alabama, wrapped up my job there, moved to Auburn university in Auburn, Alabama to start my PhD work. And, um, they hired me as a part-time dietitian on campus. They didn't have um, a dietitian available to the student population at large. And so I started my work there and literally my first week on the job, my new boss comes to me and he says, Hey, they have an eating disorder treatment team on campus. And they're so excited that now we have a dietitian that's going to be on campus all the time. So I'm going to drive you over and you can meet them because they want you to be the dietitian for the students. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Right. Cause I'm like fresh out. Like I am recovered ish. Um, but I've been saying, this is what I'm not going to do. And I think I'm going to be a wellness dietitian all over again. And here I am. And so I start again, I'm reaching out to people like Tammy Beasley. What do I read? What do I consume, um, in the literature to help me do no harm and to actually help these individuals. And so I tell this story a lot. Um, and it, it often makes me emotional when I tell it, but I remember I was sitting in this beautiful office space at the Recreation and Wellness Center in Auburn. And I had an individual in my office who had an eating disorder and I'm, you know, counseling her from nutrition therapy place and trying to help her set goals and, you know, remove some of the disordered behaviors. And I walk her up to the front at the end of the session. And then I walk an individual back to my office for their session who is coming to see me for weight loss. And I hear myself say, do these things, goals that this client wants to work on to help you lose weight. And the things that come out of my mouth are the exact same things that I just told this other person not to do. And it just, I mean, it was one of those moments, like major paradigm shift, right? Like I, this does not feel good. Right. And it was a major moment of you know, my integrity, my integrity is really important to me that things are congruent and that, you know, I have a consistent, you know, ethical approach to things all the way through. And it just, all of a sudden I thought, 
nope, there has got to be a better way. And so, but then I felt like I was floundering like out in the universe with no, you know, what what do I even do? Right. Because we're taught to do weight loss. And, you know, I think that that originally came from good intentions, thinking that it was associated with health, but now we know so much more and we know so much better. And so, um, it was like an actual like identity crisis, I think in the moment, but it was beautiful in the sense that the Lord like really helped me feel like, Hey, like I'm here in this, I'm going to walk you through it. Right. Um, I'm not going to ask you to like leave your job and never help people again or anything like that. So, um, I just started digging that's, and I, I think I just literally started Googling, like, you know, leaving the weight loss, you know, approach or, or things of that nature. And I started, I found things like health at every size and intuitive eating. And I thought, okay, like this makes sense. And it was something that like instantly I just felt at peace with, right. Um, like it felt so right and so good. And then of course it was like, well, this actually keeps the other thing that I'm always trying to help people get out of. It helps prevent that in the first place, right? Like if we just teach people that health can exist at all sizes and that intuitive eating is the best approach, then eventually the number of people coming into my office for an eating disorder should lessen, Um, and so it's preventative, which again, you heard me say earlier was something I was so passionate about. And so I just started trying to like, I mean, I don't think I dipped a toe. I think I like dove in head first, you know, um, and my poor clients were probably so confused, but I was like, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to, you know, look for weight loss. We're going to look for sure. Lowering your blood pressure and helping you manage, you know, your diabetes, but we can do all of that without focusing on calories and weight. Um, and it was like, I suddenly felt so free. Um, I loved every aspect of my job in a new way because it felt so peaceful and so connected. And I didn't feel like I was, you know, talking out of both sides of my mouth to different client populations. And I wasn't afraid that my eating disorder client was going to run into my weight loss client and talk about what their goals were because their goals were really the same, right? Like, I mean, maybe individualized, but they weren't in conflict anymore. And, um, that conflict is what pushed me to, there has to be a better way. Um, and so I, that, that was in like 2012, 2013, when I really started making that shift and, I, you know, have so much regret. Dawn Clifford and I have talked about this before, bless her soul. And she's like, we all have regret. We all have regret for the clients that we said, do this, help <laughs> lose weight. Um, she spoke so much grace over me and I will always be so grateful for that. But um, I just really, really began to love my work in a whole new way. Um, and I fumbled through it, right? Like we all do because we don't really know what we're doing or how to navigate it. And we haven't been schooled in it well. And so, um, it was hard, but I, by golly, I was committed. There was no going back after that. Oh, I love that. That's so awesome. Yeah. Just stumbling into it and feeling led by like a little trail of breadcrumbs and knowing that the Lord's in it. It's just, that was kind of my, um, my experience with it in my personal journey. So that definitely resonated for me as well. Um, so I'm curious, Jessica Lauren, like where actually, I mean, I guess like, how do you incorporate, um, or how did you first see the alignment of scripture with intuitive eating and how do you work with that? Like, can you, can you bring a faith-based approach with, with clients and just tell me about that a little bit. I, I love the integration of faith and it, I find it to be, um, essential. 
And like, I don't know how to talk about any of these things without talking. Yes, no, that's my problem. Um, I, you know, obviously I work with individuals from both a faith-based approach and individuals who don't come to their recovery work in that way. Um, But I often tell um, fellow believers that sometimes it's really hard for me to hold that piece back um, because they feel so tightly connected to me. And um, I just see the Lord and his word all in it. Um, And so sometimes when I'm trying to explain it, it's like, oh, I feel like we're disadvantaged here because I can't give you um, these other answers that feel really important from from the scriptures. So uh, one of the ways that I really see intuitive eating and, and, um, you know, a weight neutral approach align with God and his word is that over and over and over in scripture, we see that he is a God of abundance. Um, and that because of that, we can take hold of those, you know, terms that we've coined like health at every size and intuitive eating, um, and bring that into the word and go, Oh, there's really a lot of substance here that tells us, um, the Lord is a God of abundance and he is a God not concerned with outward appearance. We see that over and over again in the scriptures and people always want to talk about, you know, the verse that says your body is a temple and that's why you should do this exercise program and do this diet and wear a certain size. And, um, I know you've, you've had other guests on the podcast that have spoken to that very thing before. I think it's like a thorn in our sides. Um, but it really the, is. <laughs> yes. Like it's all over all of the fitness stuff, right. And all of the diet stuff from a Christian perspective, quote unquote. Um, but the, you know, I'm like, why is no one talking about the, um, the verse out of Samuel? So first Samuel chapter 16, verse seven, um, Samuel is going to anoint David as King little, little David, right. Um, and he's going, you know, down the line and the Lord says, you know, don't be fooled. He is not the one I want you to anoint for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart because lining them up. He thought that one of Jesse's other sons would have been the better choice. Right. And I'm like, no, no one's talking about that. Like, that's the verse we need to be blastering all over everything because man is concerned with the outward appearance, but the Lord is concerned with the heart. And I think we can take so much comfort in that, but we can also be really challenged by that because just as I shared in my God story, you know, so much of my relationship with the Lord in the beginning of my you know, years as a Christian was about how it looked from the outside, right? Was I doing enough good stuff? Was I checking all the boxes? And the Lord says, I mean, that's, you know, that's nice, but that's not what I care about. I care about the inside of you, the heart of you and what that looks like and what your motivation is and what, where your real allegiance lies. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think, um, something that I've noticed a lot and just speaking with other women on this, the appearance thing isn't always what your physical body looks like. It's what do you look like to other people? And that tends to be the performance thing that I think we both probably had as firstborn type A overachievers. So, um, like that's a heart issue. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And that is, um, that was what made it click for me in, in my kind of paradigm shift that I had to kind of work through on my own. with like, what, what am I seeking? Like, what is important to me? And the language that the Lord gave me around that was idolatry, which was not really a something that I was all that familiar with. But I think um, 
seeing it that way, at least for myself, certainly I can't look into another person's heart and Mm -hmm. discern whether or not they have an idol. That's a self-reflection issue. But I think people miss that in the appearance thing. And they're just looking at the outside and they're not doing any self-reflection on the inside. They're not thinking about their heart. They're thinking about their body and they're missing the whole point. Yeah. It's, um, that's, that is so the verse for me that (laughs) definitely, um, really switches, um, switches the focus, I think. And, um, I very much agree and lament how the, your body is a temple has been twisted in the service Mm -hmm. of weight loss and twisted in the service of conforming to a cultural standard standard of appearance that has nothing to do with the Lord. Yeah. I just like, I just want to, I want to scream that one from the rooftops. (laughs) Yes. And it's heart wrenching because I'm, I'm so lucky to be married to my best friend who is brilliant and loves the study of the word. And um, we practice a lot of, Messianic Jewish feasts in our home. And we practice um, Shabbat on Friday nights very often. And, and, and we're really enjoying teaching our kids that as they grew up. And um, he, it pains him, especially because he talks about how so many of those things get taken out of the context of the scripture, you know? And so when it's talking about things being clean or unclean, he's like, that's just the Lord's way of talking about things being completely other and completely set apart, meaning not of the world. And I think, as you say, lament, the thing that comes up so often for me is that I lament that we, especially as Christian women are so caught up in being just like the world in that way. And we, as Christian women should be more confident in living our lives in God's abundance than anyone else in the world. Right. Um, But I think in modern day, especially in American Christianity, we have associated being a good Christian with having a certain body size, a certain pant size, a certain look, eating a certain way, um, which really comes from a lot of privilege, right? And a lot of putting something on a pedestal that God never intended to be put on a pedestal. You know, I mean, Jesus says, like, don't even be concerned about what food you're going to eat. I will take care of that. Right. And so it, it pains me to see how we've taken this thing that where God is the provider and he, he uses all these beautiful words in scripture, like taste and see that the Lord is good. And I'm like, if pleasurable food were bad, God wouldn't have used it as his, you know, beautiful descriptive language all throughout scripture. Right. And so I, I want us as women, especially to be able to lean into that and go, Oh, like, God's not mad because I enjoyed my, you know, cheesecake or my, you know, yummy sandwich with pesto and all of these beautiful sauces and extras on it. He designed me to be able to taste food in the first place and then compares himself so often to pleasurable things and promises us banquet tables that are beautiful and fully laden. And so as a God of abundance, you know, I'm so, um, excited about the fact that when I went back and did word study about this, um, the word for feast, a command to feast or a festival is used over 60 times in the word (laughs) and the command to fast or references to fasting is at a whopping like 27. And I just think that should get our attention. Um, 
that, you know, even just as we survey the word that the reference to feasting, um, the, the Sabbath, the Friday to Saturday evening, uh, celebration for Jews is the most important of all of their holidays. And it is a weekly command. And I share that with clients often. I'm like, God commanded his people to feast every Friday night to have lots of bread and wine and beautiful food and to recline at their tables and to only discuss the beautiful things that they had walked through for seven days. And so I look at that and I look at how we approach in modern day society, a Friday night meal, a Sunday meal. And I go, there's not a lot of life coming into those meals, right? Like so often, especially in any disordered eating or eating disorder pattern, it's about what can I take away? What can I limit? What can I control? Um, there is no abundance there. Um, and I think that's the antithesis of what God wants for us. Mm, yeah, that's so good. I love uh, just like, I knew it was weekly, but just the way you just explained it really painted that rhythm of it's not just a rest part. It's also a celebration and they go together. Um, oh my goodness. That's so, that makes me want <laughs> that Friday night tradition. I love that you are experiencing that with your family. Um, yeah. Can you just like des- describe a little bit more about what that could yeah. look like for somebody, like how you would suggest um, incorporating a weekly feast and a weekly celebration of the Lord into our crazy modern lives. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, It can look different in different seasons. I always say that. So depending on if you have no kids, if it's you by yourself, if you have lots of kids, depending on the ages of your children, all of that, you know, it's, it's, it can be personalized and individualized. Um, it was designed in the original command, of course, to be with your family. If you were um, a single person, then you would join your neighbors. So you were supposed to be together with other believers. Um, and you have the traditional Jewish bread, the challah, and then you have kosher wine, um, there's a blackberry flavor that we really love. That's just very fun. And so we incorporate, and I will tell you, so I have been in seasons where I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I make the challah for my family that evening. And then I have also gone by my favorite bakery on Friday afternoon and picked up a really fun loaf of bread, right. That's special in some way. And so, um, you know, I'm obviously a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. I do this as part of being grafted in and praise God for that. Um, but I think it's a practice that has given so much to my life. And so um, we we pick up fun bread or we make challah and we have the wine. Or sometimes if we don't have wine, then we have grape juice with our kids and they think that's really fun. They know they get grape juice every Friday night um, and they know what it means. They know why they're doing it, right? Um, they're allowed to have grape juice at other times too. So we do that. Um, we eat a meal together. It's, um, you know, sometimes it's pizza, sometimes it's just food. And of course there's always enough, right. We always make sure that there's plenty. And then, um, right now our, our stage of reclining, we have a 12 year old, a five-year-old and a three-year-old is often family movie night, right? So we'll reflect on what the Lord has done and what we're thankful for this week. 
Um, we don't talk about work. We don't talk about that's We just reflect on the goodness of God and we snuggle up on the couch and we watch a movie right now. That's the season of life we're in. Now, before having kids, we would have a lot of our like college students over in our church. Um, we might do some worship. We might do some prayer, things like that. It can look very different, um, but that's what we do on Friday nights. And there is absolutely flexibility and room to shift, you know, if we're traveling or if we have something as a family, um, we don't feel legalistic about it in that way, but we see when we do it, we get the blessing, right? So it's not something that I have to do. I don't have to go to that old way of doing this, you know, to get my righteousness and to, to be a good follower of Jesus, fulfilling the Sabbath commandment, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Um, it's this beautiful gift to me that I get to receive. Um, and when I think about when, you know, Jesus says in, in John 10, 10, he says, I've come that they have life and they may have it abundantly. We know that that abundant life is a reference to eternal life, right? Um, but we are called to that eternal life here and now, right? Like we're already walking out the fact that we have eternal hope and eternal joy and um, eternal security in Christ alone. And so when I think about, you know, that there's an abundance of joy and peace and love and hope in Jesus, and then I think about what diet culture gives us, there, there's not any of that, I think, if most people are honest. And then it really restricts um, their relationships and their thought life and their ability to be available for kingdom work. That's what I tell women all the time in my office. I'm like, I want you to be free of this so that you have the energy to go and live out the passions that the Lord gave you. Um, because the Lord has beautiful things for you to do, but counting your calories and exercising yourself you know, day in and day out to the point of misery is not what he planned for you. There is so much more out there for you to live and enjoy and accomplish for the kingdom than that. You were created for so much more than that. Mm, yeah. I love that. That's so powerful to hear. And we don't get that message in culture. Like we don't no. hear that anywhere. They're not even, I don't even think that is being taught well from the church. I feel like we are just not getting that really critical piece of information. It's freedom from so that you have freedom to like, it's not just freedom so that you're free. It's so that you can do kingdom work. And so that you can live the life that God made you for. And, um, gosh, it's just so important. (laughs) Yeah. I love the way you put it. And, um, I want to circle back since you did, um, I'm a huge bread fan. So you got me going on the hala stuff, but I know, I know, um, you know, maybe it's just because the diet du jour as we're recording this in 2022 is still, um, kind of anti-bread. Yes. And I mean, Jesus is the bread of life. So like we've got a bread thing going on and I need you to talk about it. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we do. Um, I love the bread. I love, you know, my husband does the blessing over the bread and the wine as we're doing um, our meal together on Sabbath. And, um, you know, as he's, he's saying it, my kids learn it over the years, which is beautiful to hear them say. And so when he, you know, blesses the bread every time I think about how Jesus says, I am the bread of life, right? That's words out of his own mouth. I am the bread of life. And he was born 
in the house of bread. That's literally what Bethlehem translates to. Okay. And here's something I actually didn't know until recently that when Samuel is going to anoint David as king, he goes to Bethlehem to do it. That's where Jesse and them are. And I hadn't connected that historically in my head before. So he's like anointed again, saying the whole thing about how appearance is not what matters. And the man, you know, this is what man looks at. And this is what the Lord looks at, but Jesus is born in the house of bread. And so I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, there is no way that Jesus, who said, I am the bread of life, who was born in the literal house of bread. Okay. Who is the triune God who sent manna down from heaven. That was bready and wafer like to sustain his people every single day in the wilderness. There is no way that he is more glorified or honored by you depriving yourself of bread. Ah, mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm not saying that, you know, fasting can't be appropriate. Sure. Biblical fasting can be appropriate, but that has nothing to do with, well, I gave up bread and I lost five pounds. And if that's our motivation for it, we have severely twisted the commandment for biblical fasting and the blessing of fasting. Right. Um, so I, you know, that's the thing that when you're talking about, you know, you struggle to separate the word from intuitive eating and, and recovering the foods. I'm like, that's the one that I struggle often with. Cause I just want them to know that like the savior of the world came and said, I'm the bread of life. And I was born in the house of bread and baby girl, I want you to be able to eat bread and feel okay about it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Um, okay. So I want to go there since you've mentioned it a couple of times. And I think the contrast with feast and fast is really important. And, um, also just, just how we get it wrong when we're fasting with the back in the back of our mind, we're thinking about what it's going to do to our body in, in, in terms of a, maybe it's a diet, maybe it's a diet for God, maybe it's a diet with God, whatever little lies we are telling ourselves and, um, you know, twisting the purpose of it. Can you speak a little bit into, um, considerations for fasting. If you've got an eating disorder history or background or, uh, n- a less than ideal relationship with food. And then like, what is it really supposed to be about? Like, how are we getting this so wrong today? Yes. Yes. I would love to. I'm so fortunate to be in a really, um, small body of believers here in our hometown and thankful for pastors, um, our lead pastor and other pastors that are aware of eating disorders and disordered eating in the church and that have allowed that to be addressed within the church. I'm so grateful for that. Not every congregation has that. Um, so I think, um, having come from a church previously that really, um, also, you know, talked a lot about fasting and, and tried to do so in an appropriate way. I think the, you know, just the milieu of the, the everyday conversation amongst women, every time there's a corporate fast approaching, um, it just all starts to get really body focused. And so I just had this conversation with a client the other day who for the first time in her life feels like she wants to do a biblical fast for the right reasons. She's like, it no longer feels attached to, I'm going to lose weight when I do it this time. Or, and she said, I just want to know, I I want your guidance on how to do this right. Because I I feel this urge to do it. And I want to, to grow closer to the Lord as I do it. And I want him to be honored and glorified in it. And I thought, Oh gosh, what a beautiful place to be. Right. So we start talking about what does that even look like? Well, the whole purpose of fasting is to draw us closer to the Lord, to remove a distraction. And for our people that we work with, nine times out of 10, the food is necessary. 
right? Um, very necessary and has been very much abused and needs to be recovered and be brought back under God's authority, right? And so I will often tell them, food probably isn't going to be the thing that the Lord asks you to give up. Now, I can't speak for the Lord, but I just find in my experience over a lot of years that people will say, you know what, after I recovered, the Lord showed me lots of other things that really, that were a time distraction that, you know, pulled me away from him. That if I gave that up, I had more time to read his word and to pray, but giving up my food did not prompt me towards that. I gave up food for years and it didn't prompt me towards God. Right. And so helping them figure out what is that thing that's actually the best to remove that helps me lean into the Lord and learn from him and hear from him in a new way. Um, you know, this is not the right answer for everybody, but I think so much, you know, our phones, our social media, our email, um, our, all of those things are so much more of a time drain than food really, you know, food is very easily accessible for most people. We have a lot of privilege here in our country and it's not difficult to come by. We can get it pretty quickly and we can eat it in a reasonable speed and move on. Um, so I often encourage them to consider all the other things that would actually help them make space for God. Right. Um, and secondly, one of my favorite things, um, to reference is I came across a prayer from a rabbi a few years ago where a young woman had written in and said, I have an eating disorder and we're approaching Yom Kippur and it's the day of fast, it's the day of fasting. And so how, what, what do I do? Cause I, I want to honor God and I want to participate in this. Um, and the rabbi has this really beautiful response and, you know, explains it all. And, and there's a prayer that they write out together. But the thing that I said to my client um, in session the other day that just really resonated with her was for some of us, the call to fast is actually to feast. Really? Oh my goodness. That's a thinker. Yeah. Me. And it, yeah. So it ends, it was a beautiful moment in session. And, um, she said, I, I don't need you to say anything else today. Like that's the thing that I'm going to sit with for the rest of the day that for some of us, and those weren't the rabbi's words. Those, that's just what I pulled from it. But if I bring that all the way down succinctly, that, it, that for some of us, the command to fast is actually to feast and that whatever is hard, right. That's the thing. That's what fasting is supposed to do. What's hard for me to give up. Right. Um, what's the thing that's going to create more space for God so I can lean into him. Um, then it would be for some of us, it would be to trust him and to feast on his abundance instead of to deprive ourselves and focus on that. Yeah. That's such a good way to flip it that I think circles back into the heart issue. Yes. Like that's, that's really good. Oh my goodness. I hope somebody heard that this year. I wish this was coming out in time for Lent because <laughs> this is, uh, you know, we're recording this where I'm starting to think about, you know, we're yeah. about a month out now. Oh, I wonder, wonder what would be some good prompts for that. And I think you just really summarize it pretty, pretty ideally for this. It's like, what's a challenge? Like what's hard to give up? Mm -hmm. What's going to make space? for God and what's going to draw you closer to him. And I don't know. I just, I think those questions are so empowering and I feel like, especially how you painted it so beautifully um, and just reminded us that he is a God of abundance. It's like, maybe it is feasting mm -hmm. rather than fasting. 
Mm-hmm. And taking the time to feast, right? Because yeah. that causes us to slow down and to reflect and to taste things and to enjoy and to not be afraid of enjoying and to bless the meal and to reflect on his goodness. Mm, yeah. Um, I think for some of us, slowing down is really scary. Yeah, absolutely. That is um, slowing down for a meal around the table. I'm just wondering how, I mean, how different this country would be if like every household actually did a meal around the table with everyone there just one a week. I mean, that like, that's like, my brain is already doing calculus of how do we, how do we accomplish? Is that like, it's like, it's difficult. I'm not no, right. <laughs> saying if it was easy, everybody would do it, but like, gosh, nobody said it was easy. Right. But once we do it, I think it like you get the bug, right? And then you're like, yeah, this, I, I get the goodness out of this, right? Like, mm. it's not even that I'm having to like sacrifice and it feels like that sometimes, but then you do it and you're like, oh gosh, I'm so glad I did it. Right. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Oh my goodness. Jessica Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. I just loved this conversation so much. Um, we wrap up with a couple of quick fire things and okay. then I will have you, um, Actually, go ahead and tell everybody where um, where to find you online. If, if you're taking clients, how to work with you, um, all of that information, share that yeah, with us. And we'll sure. include it all in the show notes too so people can find you easy. Awesome. Yes. Um, I am on Instagram and Facebook at with milk and honey. That's my business name. Also my website. So it's just with milk and Uh, that of course comes from the promise that the Lord is going to take us into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. So that's a whole other reference to abundance there. Um, I have very, very limited openings right now, but I'm always, um, you know, happy to hear for individuals that are just even thinking about beginning to work on their recovery. And then they'll circle back around to me six months later and say, okay, I want to start now. And that's a beautiful thing to see. So, um, don't hesitate to reach out based on openings. Um, and yeah, I come follow me and, and interact with me. I'm also on Twitter, um, JL newbie RDN. Um, and I do some quick bites there sometimes. So good stuff. Okay. Now for the rapid fire. <laughs> okay. So the question we ask everybody coffee or tea and how do you take it? Coffee, absolutely, with creamer and some sort of flavored shot or flavored creamer. So I love some half and half and then some flavored creamer on top of that. It's got to be a beautiful kind of like milky color. I don't want it to look like coffee when I drink it. (laughs) I'll take tea when I'm sick, but I'm kind of a tea snob and I only like Harney and Sons African Autumn. It is the absolute best tea on the planet. So that's my recommendation there. Nice. I'm just getting into tea. So I'm going to have to, uh, get you to write that one down for me. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So what are you reading right now? Oh gosh. Um, actually started a reading challenge. I'm trying to read 50 books this year. I love reading. Um, I love historical fiction, uh, world war II era. Um, I just finished, um, our darkest night by Jennifer Robson. Um, beautiful, beautiful work. She actually holds a PhD in British history. So it's very, accurate. And, um, I'm so encouraged by stories from that era in history and just what they, you know, navigated as people at that time. And so I just finished that. I'm also reading gentle and lowly. I'm doing, um, Nancy Guthrie's praying through the Bible for my kids. And I just finished the ruthless elimination of hurry, um, by John Mark Homer, which only re 
amplified my desire to continue like, okay, we got to keep Sabbath and we got to do these things. Yes. My friend Cass recommended that one to me. It's it's on my short list. I love that you're so ambitious in reading that many books. That was definitely one of my goals this year was to read more. So um, I love that. Okay. So what are you listening to right now? Listening. I listened to Maverick City Music all morning while I was getting ready for this. Love them. Um, yes. Makeup, hair, Maverick City going in the background. Um, that is probably my go-to worship right now. We also love, my girls love Ellie Holcomb. So they love listening to her albums. Oh, I love yeah. that she does worship um, with scripture. And so it's a way for us to store that up in our heart. And my, my younger two, we do songs for saplings and it helps them memorize scripture. So it goes to the alpha bet and there's like a scripture. So that's how I'm like, I have either songs for saplings in my head or Maverick city music. It's kind of, you know, opposite ends of the (laughs) age range and genre, but, um, that's what's playing. If you were to hop in my Honda Odyssey with me at any given time, it's either LA Holcomb, Maverick city music or songs for saplings. (laughs) I'd ride in there. (laughs) Okay. Cookies or cake. Oh gosh. Cheesecake. Cheesecake is my absolute favorite dessert. Yeah. Um, or an oatmeal raisin cookie that genuinely is my favorite. Um, oh, now you got me thinking about cheesecake. I haven't (laughs) had that in a while. (laughs) Okay. This last one is kind of out there. Um, would you ever wear socks with sandals? (laughs) Oh gosh. Yes. So I hate to go barefoot. So I always have socks on. Like as soon as I get out of the shower, I put socks on. Um, but in like the warmer months or even right now, who am I kidding? It's like 20 something degrees outside. But when I'm walking around my house, I'll slide on my little like plastic kind of like Birkenstock like sandals over my socks. And I, I'll walk outside and check them out like that. I don't care. It's it's all about comfort and function. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think I've, I've grown an appreciation for both uh, comfort and function when in terms in terms of clothing as I've aged, like, I think I'm getting more mature because I care about more. Absolutely. Yes. It started the socks with sandals thing started when my whole family had COVID. That was how I, I don't know how or why, but by the end of those like two weeks, I like never gave up the socks and sandals after that. So my goodness. (laughs) Okay. So this has been fantastic. And I just want to thank you again for your time and your wisdom. And if you wouldn't mind, could you close us out in prayer? Oh, gosh, yes. I would love to. Thank you so much. Oh, Jesus. Uh, thank you. Thank you for being near, um, for being the bread of life born in the house of bread. And thank you for um, just promising, coming and promising us that you came, that we may have life and have it abundantly. Um, Lord, you know that my favorite name to call you is Emmanuel, God with us. And so I just ask right now for anyone listening to this, Lord, that they would be so aware um, that you are Emmanuel and that you're with them in the battle for their food or their body or um, their mental well-being, Lord, that whatever they're traversing right now, that you are Emmanuel, God with us, and that you have come, that we may feast and that we may rest in the abundant joy and hope and peace um, that you came and that you bought for us at a very high price. Um, I thank you for the fact that we don't have to earn our righteousness because you have given us yours. Um, I thank you for 
um, Aaron and for Charlie and for their work. And I pray that you would continue to bless their ministry, um, that you would bless the individuals that are listening to this here and now, Lord. And that because of that, that because of this, that people would be set free and that because they're free, they will then be free to do the kingdom work, um, that lifts your name high Lord, but that also blesses us that we get to be part of it. Um, we love you so very much. And we ask all of these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. This episode of Intuitive Eating for Christian Women was brought to you by our online course called The Attunement Reset. Shar, why don't you tell them a little bit about The Attunement Reset and what we're going to be doing this fall? Yes. So this is an 11-week program for Christian women to feel comfortable in their bodies and confident in their food and exercise choices. This is the most comprehensive, in-depth course that we offer. And this is the first time that we're offering it with group coaching calls. So we're getting a group of women together to go through the course together. And we will have group coaching calls with Aaron and I to go through that. So it's 11 weeks. You get learning modules, workbooks, lifetime access to the course. The, cor- the course is going to be beginning on September 5th. And we'll be wrapping up the week of November 14th. The group coaching calls will have two options, either Monday evenings, um, 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Eastern time, or Fridays at that lunch hour from noon to one. So it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a deep dive. Um, And I don't know if we'll be doing it again. So it's a pretty awesome opportunity. Yeah, this is a really special opportunity for a woman who is really looking to go deep in her intuitive eating journey and really get a comprehensive, um, supportive program to help her really learn it and apply it in her life. And we want you to be that woman. So come join us. This is going to be amazing. And if you do quickly, we're going to have an early bird special that is lasting until August 17th. So if you sign up for the course before then, you're going to save a hundred bucks. And who doesn't want to save a hundred bucks? So go check it out. Go get all the course details over on our website, intuitiveeatingforchristianwomen.com. Navigate to shop and online courses. And you will get all the details for the attunement reset. And we hope to see you there. This podcast was produced by Shoot Productions and made possible by the grace of God and the support of women like you. Thank you for being a part of the Intuitive Eating for Christian Women community. We'll see you in the next episode.